This is At The Turn. It's time for discussion and interviews about the world of golf you won't hear anywhere else. Here are your hosts, Nick Heidelberger and Joe Simons. Hello, hello. Welcome into another episode of At The Turn. Nick and Joe here, ready to melt down with you. That is the topic for today. The greatest meltdowns in golf history, according to us. I have some personal stories. Nick, this was your idea. What was the inspiration for this topic? I feel like my background is having a meltdown right now. There, there was one point where I had this like nice golf thing back here that you can see. And Joe, I know you're like doing a lot with social media and YouTube and all this stuff. And I was like, trying hey, some golf stuff in my background. It would be great. I've got some golf balls over here. But like my whole background now, like, is this is a common area. It overflows with diapers. Like some people will, will just throw some spare diapers over here. Sometimes sure. I have snacks. There's like Cheez-Its in my background. So um, my, my background is kind of a meltdown. Um, that was not the inspiration for, um, for this. Your messy life. Topic. No, no. Um, Monday Q info posted a, a tweet that I'm going to, that I'm going to pull up. There was a recent mm. epic meltdown and you, you've talked a lot about trying to qualify for the Oregon mid-am. Well, a mid-am qualifier, which remains anonymous, a, a player was, let's see, um, he needed a nine on the final hole to get through to his state mid-am. Was it a par eight? <laughs> it was a par four. Oh, okay. He instead made a 12 <laughs> to miss by three. He needed a nine and he missed by three. This sounds like a future uh, at the turn guest, by the way. I think he was like four. And I don't have the whole context. I was reading the comments uh, again at like four in the morning, feeding Sydney. Um, so I, excuse me if some of this is cloudy, but I think he was like four under at one point during his round and then just made a 12 on the last hole, needing a nine. And uh, this, this like synced up when you were texting me like, Nick, should we talk about playing golf in the rain in a podcast? And I was like, that's cool. Uh, but this might be better. This is better. I reserve the right to bring out playing golf in the rain. It's the wettest. We're on, we're on pace for the wettest April in history. And I'm playing in the Portland City Best Ball this weekend. I'm going to have you pump me up to end the episode a little bit later. So don't let me forget about that. But we are going to talk about meltdowns, what constitutes a meltdown, the biggest meltdowns in pro history. And then I have a great story from high school that I promise is not going to be terrible. I promise it's going to be a good story. Before we get to any of that, Nick, I think we have to end the promotion of how many cuts Tiger Woods will make in 2023. Are you aware why? Um, yeah, Tiger Woods. He has some surgery. Tiger Woods, another surgery. This one on his ankle. No timetable for return. So we're just going to end this promotion. Congratulations to Make It Ziggy, who says, Love the show, boys. Three cuts for the big cat. You know what? He made two. That's good enough. Make It Ziggy. Ziggy, hit us up on Instagram. Give us your information. You're going to get a box of Piper golf balls. And then, Nick, I started racking my brain. We need a new promotion for folks to go to an Apple Podcasts and have a chance to win a box of Piper golf balls. And I've got it. Folks need to predict the winner of the U.S. Women's Open occurring this July at Pebble Beach Golf Links. Leave us your winner. I don't want to score. I just want a winner. (laughs) You have to be the first person to do it. I want to give these balls away. I want to give them away to somebody. So leave us the winner of the 2023 U.S. Women's Open happening this July at Pebble Beach on Apple Podcasts in your review. The first person to give us the winner 
will get sent a box of whatever you want, blue, black, gold, green, the sampler, so you can try them all. If you can't wait for that, go to piper.golf, use promo code TURN10 at checkout. I know. Congrats, congrats to make it Ziggy three, also the winning number of the Gur report. And that brings us to the Gur report brought to you by T Box Coffee. It's nearly cold brew season. Use promo code TURN15 at checkout for incredible savings on hot, cold, lukewarm, however you like it. Get it from T Box Coffee. Use promo code TURN15. Nick, three? You hit three? No, I I, uh, oh. I haven't played golf since the last time we uh. talked. I'm not going to play golf before the next time we talk. Yeah. Uh, whatever it's at, it's at, I think it's 15. I think it's 15. Um, I don't remember. It is 15. Uh, I, I lost count. So, I think so it's many greens. Yeah. Okay. So, so many so, I can't count. Um, real quick, instead of the Gur report, give me the 30 seconds on how you're spending this weekend. Go. I'm going to Nashville. And um, I'm going to toe the line of drinking to the point where Ashley thinks she's going to lose control of me, but I'm I'm just going to keep it on the inside of control. Like a professional. Like a professional. Well, wait a minute. Why are you going to Nashville? Just for, just well, for shits? Pretty much. Uh, we're, we're going for the Music City. I guess there's a marathon. Also, um, Ashley's running the half run marathon. It? I'm not running the marathon or the half marathon. I had... I, I, had really good intentions to run the 10K. Um, the registration is wildly expensive. I just can't justify for that for a race. Don't let Ashley convince you that it's because I didn't train because I I did go on a run that I would not have gone on otherwise. I consider that to be training. And I could absolutely 100% get to the finish line in a 10K. So that's not the reason. It's just it's just insanely expensive to just exercise, right? Like It's probably like double the cost of an annual gym membership to, to just go for a run in Nashville. Like That's insane. I can't, I'd rather... I'd rather have a few mimosas and, uh, and spend my time a little more enjoyable. It's so funny because I've never heard someone not want to do a race because of that reason. But races are very expensive. I did the Shamrock Run, which is the biggest run in Portland. And I think it cost me like 75 bucks to do the 15K. I did get a fun shirt, a nice medal, like eight ounces of a beer. So I guess that's included in all of it. They're 120 bucks. Off. 120 bucks to run a 10K in Nashville. These things are expensive to put on. You need a lot of security, volunteers, all this sort of stuff. So I I hear you. I was thinking of it as like if I were to pitch Ashley a $120 like golf gizmo, that like she would just be like, do you really need that? And I'd be like, no. Is it going to make you better? Well, it makes some people better, but it's it's not going to work for me. Um, that, right. That, I would never justify that. So uh, I can't justify this this race. I'm just going to have some fun. Nashville's I'm a little good. jealous. A I hear city. Nashville's an awesome, an awesome town. Have you been there before? I have. Yeah, I used to live in Tennessee for two years. I've, I've well, it's a big state. Quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, I'm 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 very excited for you. I'm uh, disappointed for Team Ashley that uh, she's just going to have to run with her buddies, and her husband's not going to be alongside for the first 50 meters before she flies by you. But um, yeah, good luck to everybody in Nashville. Hope everyone has a great time. Well, there's not going to be a meltdown from Nick Heidelberger on the racetrack in Nashville, but meltdowns, what a topic. I'm so excited to explore this with you. I just put in the rundown, how do you define a meltdown? I was going to kind of riff, but you have really good points here. So why don't you take it? Yeah, I think uh, a good meltdown has to have some key elements. Now, not every meltdown has to have all of these things, but the more that you have and the more heightened they are, the better the meltdown is. The first thing is 
there's got to be some stakes, right? Like the stakes have got to be high for whatever it is. For me, like if I if I at some point in my life have have a chance to break eighty, like that's a high stakes for me, right? When for some when for, you do, come on, do. get that if when out I do. Of there. When I do, for some of these, you know, it's a major champion, it's a major championship, or or Ryder Cup or something. You know, like every for every person, the stakes are different, but they have to mean something to the golfer. Um, there's got to be like an insanely high likelihood of success because, like, just just making the turn, like, with a chance to do something, like, that's not really a meltdown. It's like, yeah, you had a good front nine, but you know, you let it go in the back. But it's not a meltdown. Like, the higher the likelihood of success, the more epic the meltdown becomes and the last one i put not every meltdown has this but the like a really 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 good meltdown like you've got to like make multiple mistakes to give it away you can't just like hit one bad shot or maybe miss one putt or one thing here or there it's like okay you blew it out of bounds but then you just had to like make bogey with your second ball but then you hit it into the water you know it's like it's like it's like what were you doing like just get it home um, so the more mistakes it takes for the meltdown, the better the meltdown is. I think that's great. High stakes, likelihood of succeeding, the messier it is, the better the meltdown. I think that's exactly right, especially when you're talking about the professional game. Now, when you're talking about the likes of me and you, the stakes can be a little bit lower and you still can have a meltdown. Can I start with my high school story? Yes. So it's the first hole at Persimmon Country Club, which is flanked by out of bounds on both the left and right side. But you have a lot of room to bother before you actually hit either of those. It's it's a wide narrow fairway, wide landing area. Right. So it's the number ones. It's a JV tournament. I'm probably a sophomore and a senior was playing down to get some practice. So he was the number one JV player. Funny redheaded kid. Everyone liked him. Kind of a rascal, a little bit of a dickhead, but everyone liked him. You know, that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And so he steps up to the tee and he's, he, he usually shoots like in the mid high 70s. Again, trying to get some practice. He, I, I'll never forget, he pulls out an old school tailor made burner three wood, the really classic one that you always see with kind of the tan brownish head on it. Pulls it out, blasts it to the right, out of bounds. Teen three does the exact same thing. Two more times. So he's hit three balls out of bounds now. So he's on the tee hitting seven. He drops it down to a mid-iron. Exact same shot. Oh, my God. Tries to steer it. Does it again. He's hitting 11 off of the tee. Our coach, who's just, you know, an affable social studies teacher who doesn't really play golf. He was just the person assigned to coordinate the logistics of these tournaments. Tries to, to say something. <laughs> and Bob just I, under his breath, because we're all standing right there because we're all teeing off in succession. We're all standing right there. And I never forget his whispers under his breath. Shut the fuck up, Rice. <laughs> like, there's nothing you can say to me that is going to stop this from happening. OK, so he's, <laughs> he's blasted three three woods and three mid irons out He's hitting 11, drops it down to like an eight iron. He hits another one out. Oh my God. He drops it down to a wedge, finally hits it in play, hits it on the green after a couple of shots, eventually ends up making a 19 on the first hole. As amazing as that is, he played the rest because it was a nine hole tournament. JV's usually Niners. He played the rest of the eight holes in two under. <laughs> 
So he starts, what would that be? 15 over, and then he goes two under, and I'm fairly certain he shot 49 with a 19 on the first hole. That's awesome. He probably beat like half the field. He probably did. <laughs> so I, while that's a meltdown in like a way you never really see it, it's something I will never, ever forget. And I've played it for Simon a few times. My buddy's a member there. I played it last summer. I posted a 30-second review to the Instagram. I always think about that when I go to that tee. I can't tell you how far left. I usually aim left on most tee shots. I am like perpendicular to the hole <laughs> trying to make sure I don't go right. Bob Alsman, um, I'll never forget that moment. It was it was something. That's Witnessing so good. a 19. It's it's almost like the opposite of a meltdown because he he started with, with the epic failure and then like crescendoed into this like somewhat successful round that's exactly right now do you have any personal experience of witnessing a meltdown you melting down anything like that i've never melted down i've never seen a really? meltdown i've only can confirm it's happened from tv joe i was thinking about this and i'm like i'm i'm sure i i mean like i'm sure, sure yeah things like that have happened but like all of my career low rounds like for the career low at the time i've made I think I've made a par. Like I know my last three career lows, I've made a par in the last hole. Um, so, you know, even if I knew, which a lot of times I don't really know where I stand during the round, I just know like it's going well or it's not going well. Um, you know, I, 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 I got it home. Um, I haven't been like, I've played in some leagues and some tournaments here and there, but I've never been like, okay, I've got this lead. I've got like a really desirable position late in the thing. Like the, the criteria we've established I haven't really been in that situation um, mm. yet again. Um, so, yeah, I, nothing, nothing that that uh, really fits this criteria. I have I have a couple and I want you to determine if they're I'll, I'll try to go as rapid fire as I can. So when we played in the men's league in Idaho, we did match play and I played against Nick Popowell. Remember, do you remember oh, Nick Popowell? Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> I made a 10 on the par five where you, where, you, where you can, so there's a par five at Idaho where you can cut the corner, but you have to carry probably like, I don't know, 240 or 250 over out of bounds. But if you carry it, you have like 115 on a par five. It's yum, yum, Eagle Birdie special. I make a 10 on that hole and I lose to Popwell by like, I don't know, 11 shots. I'm not sure that really qualifies as a meltdown. I think it's one bad hole. Yeah, it's one bad hole that proved to be the difference later on, but it wasn't like you went to that hole like needing a nine to, to win and you sure. made a 10. That, I think that's the differentiating factor is you have to know you need a number that has to be super easy to make. Well, and you fail to get it done. Now, this is not an excuse to bring up my 67 on this podcast, as I don't think I've done it in, in about a year, which is pretty good for me. It's, it's pretty you're due. good. You do. I Okay. Did I. I was seven under through 16, and I bogeyed 17, and I bogeyed 18 to shoot 67. Specifically, I three-putt the 18th green from about 17 feet, about 20 feet. I remember that. I don't remember three putt. I remember, I remember bogey-bogey the last two holes, yeah. but I don't really consider that a meltdown. Like, if you would have done that to shoot 73. But even bogey-bogey on two pretty tough holes, 17, like a 200-yard par three, uphill with out of bounds on the right. Um <laughs> When not, your misses right, not like, I know. That's it's not like an easy hole to just get at home. And then 18, like a split fairway with like the most narrow fairway. Again, out of bounds on the right. Yeah. And you're absolutely dead if you go left. And bogey, bogey. Again, you, you shot 67. It's not like you went bogey, bogey or like triple, triple to shoot 73. Like it's got to be oh worse. God. I want to quit the game. <laughs> it, it's got to be worse than just like – because like okay. a bogey like – bogeys happen, right? It wasn't like – in. in you still achieved your career low round. 
you you broke 70. I mean, 500 par. It's not like you gave something away. It's not like you almost had something and then didn't, right? You still like, achieved. Right. You still won. You, you might have limped home. But again, I don't know if I can call it a meltdown because you still you still won. That scorecard is still in your fridge. It is, and it's it's starting to collect dust. And sun, it's 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 suntanned now. It's, it's been in the fridge yeah, for so I need long. to make a replica. Yeah, we're getting the the, the twelve year anniversary coming up in a few months. Other than that, I don't really think like I have too many other meltdowns. There have been times where like I've been playing around in the back nine where it's like get me off this golf course. Like I don't even know how to swing a golf club. That's probably happened like two or three times. But yeah. again, that's not really like a meltdown where a position of prominence to falling off. Right. Right. Exactly. Are you ready to hit well, them? That makes meltdown so beautiful. It, it's it the, is. What could have been. Yeah. We, we, we love to watch them. They are super fun and excruciating. I yes. picked three from the men's side. You picked three from the women's side. Let me just preface mine by saying I decided to go with single hole meltdowns versus round long meltdowns because I wanted to narrow my scope. So that's that's the lens that I'm working through. But do you want sure. to kick off with your first one? Yeah, I will. I will. And the reason why I, I, I figured it'd be best to go men's and women's is because like if we just both came up with our top three, we, there would have been too much overlap. Sure. Um, and there's a okay. look, there's a lot of meat on this bone to pick from. <laughs> it's true. Both sides. We're going to go back um, to 2012. The Kraft Nabisco Championship. IK Kim is bogey free. She's four under par for the day, entering the last hole of the, of the tournament. This is a major mm. championship on the women's side. It's a par five. She just birdied her last two holes. She just birdied three of her last four holes. She has a one-stroke lead, searching for her first major going into the last hole. Fast forward onto the green. She has a one-foot par putt to win a major championship basically a tap-in for a major the thing horseshoes 360 degrees maybe even more might have gone around twice it might have been a, a complete tony hawk um <laughs> missed the putt she is in shock she loses on the very first playoff hole to sun young woo uh that it was it was quick and dirty right there there was just one, one mistake it was it was just one mistake, but it was an epic one. Uh, she did wow. go on to win one major. She won the 2017 uh, Women's British Open, which is a relief. <laughs> that would, yeah, would be a tough pill to swallow to never win a major after having a one foot putt to win a major. Um, but that's my first. That's my first meltdown. Yeah, missing a short putt to win a major. I have I have one of those coming up. But a one footer. Now, did you did you watch the game tape? to prepare for this because I had to I only watched one of my three because I had to make sure how short the putt was that this person missed to win a major but I actually I, remember this because it was I mean you don't forget someone missing a one foot putt to win a major championship I'm yeah. sure she hasn't it's I uh, did I did watch it I didn't yeah. watch I I wanted to see what led to that like did right. she miss the green and chip up or did she have a long lag putt or did she have like a, a, a like a 12 footer and you know what I mean but I, I couldn't. I couldn't do it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what led to that one foot putt. She had a one foot. It putt. was the one foot putt to win a major. Anybody a one foot putt to win a major. I saw the highlights though, and she made like a hundred feet of putts on that back nine. <laughs> like she, she made she made three birdies in the, the previous four holes, and they were like two of them were were like outside twenty feet. I think I could miss that putt. 
I'm not going to be too critical. I could miss that putt. I definitely could miss a one footer to win a major championship. I yeah. Anyway, all right, that's a good one. I'm going to start with a famous one, an infamous one. I kept track of this tournament, the 2006 U.S. Open. My older brother was getting uh, his diploma for graduating college. I was on my flip phone trying to update the internet on a flip phone in 2006 to see if Phil Mickelson could finally win the U.S. Open. And, of course, we know all these years later, the answer is no. Standing on the 18th tee at Wingfoot, all Mickelson needed was a par to win his first U.S. Open. And here's what a lot of people forget. Not only would it have been his third, or excuse me, his first U.S. Open, it would have been his third consecutive major win in a row. He won the 05 PGA Championship, the 06 Masters. He would have won the 06 U.S. Open. Had a chance to win four majors in a row. Oh, my God. Uh, Instead, he made a double bogey. He hit driver on a hole where he really didn't need to. Into the hay. Actually, it was far enough into the gallery where he had a shot to the green, then hits a bad second shot, chips over the green, chips back, leaves himself like a 14-footer for bogey to get into a playoff, misses that, finishes with a double bogey. End of the story, right? Wrong! Playing ahead of Phil Mickelson is Mrs. Doubtfire himself, Colin Montgomery. Colin Montgomery, I actually watched this because I had forgotten this. I I, I watched the blow-by-blow. Monty pours in a birdie on the 71st hole to tie for the lead, right? He goes to 18, stripes a tee shot down the fairway. He's got like a pitching wedge in, like 120 yards in. He flubs it, hits it in the rough, chip over the green, chip back long. He misses his bogey putt a la Mickelson. Monty and Phil both make double bogey to hand the trophy to Jeff Ogilvy, mm. who is a major champion. Monty is not, and Phil's never won the U.S. Open. That's the first one. 06 at Wingfoot. Torturous for not only Monty and Phil. Worse for Monty than Phil. Phil has six majors. Phil just finished second in the most recent major <laughs> that he had. What? Monty never won a major championship despite winning the money title in Europe eight years in a row in the wow. 90s. He's lost in playoffs at the U.S. Open. He had a million chances to win. This was probably his best one, and he just couldn't get it done. So a lot of people point to Mickelson, but Monty's there too. Huge meltdown from both dudes there. Yeah, and um, we might as well just re-air this ahead of the U.S. Open because yeah. got, I've got another U.S. Open um, factoid. This one, again, recent memory. I have some recency bias in mind because it didn't, didn't take me long to go back in memory banks to cope with uh, three yeah. um, of these meltdowns, but... 2021 U.S. Open. Knew this was coming. Lexi Thompson. Yeah. She had a five-stroke lead, Joe. And not on Thursday, not on Friday, not on Saturday. She had a five-stroke lead late in her front nine on Sunday. And she was oh, one Lexi. under par through 10 holes on Sunday. Just cruise control. And I remember that's about when I turned it on. And I'll never forget thinking, well, I was really hoping to get some good women's golf action this weekend. <laughs> it's my first chance to watch it. Kind of interesting to, to see her make it interesting. Well, oh, oh, Lexi listened. Double on 11. Bogey on 14. Bogey on the par 5 17th, which is basically a double, to lose the lead. Goes into the 18th. A birdie wins it. A par gets into a playoff. She hits her drive in the fairway. Has a wedge in. Leaves it in a short bunker, leaves it in a bunker, I'm sorry, a deep bunker short of the green, 
gets out to 10 feet, has a 10-foot putt to get into a playoff at the U.S. Open after having a five-stroke lead, and she leaves it two feet short. And the worst part is it was a downhill putt. I remember that putt. It was because the angle was like directly behind her, and it was a downhill putt. And you think to yourself, all right, well, Lisa's going to get to the hole. No matter what, it's going to get to the hole and have a chance. And she left it two feet short. She is the most tortured golfer in terms of majors right now. Like, Rory, what, whatever. Rory's won four majors. He's been number one in the world recently. He's he's he, he's won a lot. Lexi only has one, and she mm-hmm. keeps blowing the biggest tournament that there is. To me, Lexi's the number one GOAT. You know, not greatest of all time, but <laughs> a goat right now in the original right. term. Um, that's tough. That's tough. She, she, so she missed the playoff by one. She fought, shot 41 on the back, 75 on the day, nine strokes worse than her Saturday round. She shot 66, 75, her final two rounds to miss the playoff by a stroke. Do you think she'll get it done? Eventually. You do? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, U.S. Open or just another major? U.S. Open. Uh, I honestly, I hope so, but yeah, uh, eh. I know, I know it's, it's still in play that she, I mean, she's Lexi's been around so long. We just assume that she is like, you know, 36 years old. I'm pretty sure she's just 30. I I looked this up. She's 28. Oh my God. I mean, look, she's still seventh in the world. Jesus. She is 28. How's that? She's played. Yeah, I mean, she turned well, professional old. at the age of 15. So Yeah, she played, started her... playing the U.S. Open when she was 12. <laughs> this is going to be like her 16th U.S. Open or something <laughs> insane. Her and Sung J.M. were the two where it's like, well, they've been around forever. You know how old Sung J.M. is? He's 24 years old. Yeah. He's a little baby. Yeah. All right, that's a good one. Um, I'm going to stick with the U.S. Open theme as well. This one's forgotten to history a little bit, but I remember it happening. Very vividly. The 2001 U.S. Open at Southern Hills. So Mark Brooks, who won a major championship in 1996, three putts the 72nd hole to lose the lead. Okay? Playing in the last group, Stuart Sink, three putts the 72nd hole to finish one shot behind Brooks. Retief Goosen is standing there from 15 feet. The man needs to two-putt in order to win this tournament outright. Two putts from 15 feet. He knocks the first one two feet by the hole. And you can see as soon as he hits it, he's mm-hmm. like, what in God's green earth am I doing? Lag it up there, tap it in, you win the U.S. Open. Pride of South Africa. You know what happens next. He has two feet to win the U.S. Open. He misses the hole, and he blows it by four feet. Oh. So oh now he's got a four-footer to get into a playoff. If he misses it, Mark Brooks wins outright. <laughs> Fortunately... He knocks it in. This is still when the U.S. Open has an 18-hole playoff the next day. Mm. Goosen does take care of business, wins his first of two U.S. Opens. But I just remember, similar to the Nabisco Championship you referenced a little bit earlier, professional golfer having a two-footer to win the U.S. Open and missing it directly after Mm. Stuart Sink has a two-footer, which he thinks is nothing. He's deflated. Mm-hmm. You can tell he's not really giving a shit. Johnny Miller even says his head was somewhere else on that. But it turns out that if Stuart Stink makes that little putt, he is at a playoff for a U.S. Open. He'd eventually win a British Open as well. But these these are humans out there. I think that's why we like these moments, because they remind us that despite the fact 
that they have this training. They hit the ball in a way we can't imagine, ungodly around the greens. At the end of the day, if you're faced with 24 inches between you and being a United States Open champion, that shit's scary. It's, no matter who you are. And it becomes very human when we witness something like this. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. That's why that's why we're so drawn to meltdowns. Oh my god. Fascinating. So All right. My my last one, <clears throat> I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's cheating a little bit. And you can let me know if this doesn't count. But okay. um it meets the criteria. This isn't something that happened on the golf course, but it's a golfer who had she had an easy path to something and failed to convert and cost herself quite a bit. Okay. The 2019 U.S. Women's Oprah Champ Open U.S. Women's Amateur Champion. I'm sorry, Joe. Got it. Gabby Ruffles was exempt into LPGA Q School, where 45 players get cards. She was going up to Alabama to scout the course, decided to just check the registration status, realized she hadn't registered. Not only did she not register, she missed the deadline by a month. What? <laughs> what? She just completely failed to register for the event that's going to get her her lifelong professional dream of, of reaching the LPGA Tour. Um, and and I don't know. I'm not – I know her name. I, I I haven't heard her speak too many times. I don't really know her personality that well. Her her quote on this seems very like she's blaming other people. She said, "I guess it was all on myself." And I'm like, "Well, who the yeah. hell? Who the hell else would it be on?" Like when the Corner Club Open registration comes out, the first thing I do is I mail in a check, a blank check, to so just take all my money, get me into this tournament. I don't care what it costs. This is the number one priority. So I don't know. I don't know who else it would have been on. Um, wow! This was just last fall. She's currently number one in the Epson Tour race for the card. Um, she's she's easily going to get her LPGA Tour card. She probably would have gotten it in Q School. I believe I didn't confirm this. I believe it was final stage. She was exempt into and just never registered. That is that counts. That counts. Okay. That's Thank incredible you. that you can have the ability to win. A national championship, the second most prestigious national championship in women's golf in America, and not have the foresight to just basically go online and spend five minutes and say, hey, Gabby Ruffles, U.S. Am Champ 2019, I'm in the final stage of Q School. If I shoot the 44th best score, I'm an LPGA Tour player now. <laughs> oh, my God. Poor Gab. That is that is a meltdown. Do you know her status right now? Is she, well, well, you said she's number one in the Epson Tour. so She's, she's number one. She's... Just gotta, she just gotta get it home. You would assume she has a bright future. <laughs> five players, oh, five or ten God. get cards in the Epson tour. So wow, you know, if she doesn't make it, it would be it would be another epic meltdown. I mean, well, let's revisit maybe, this in November, maybe next year we we'll revisit. Wow, I bet she'll register for Q school next year if she doesn't make it though. <laughs> yeah, something tells me it'll be top of mind this this time around. Um, okay, so. The number one is obvious, but before I get to it, I just want to say a bunch of honorable mentions that didn't make it. Okay. Rory at the 2011 Masters. I rewatched yes. some of those highlights. I forgot how bad that was. He had a That's four a shot one. lead entering the day and just totally shit the bed. Like this, yeah, there's there's no other way to put it. Uh one that goes under the radar, Adam Scott bogeyed the last four holes of the 2012 Open Championship. Ernie Els eventually winning. Um, the, the 96 masters, Greg Norman, obviously shooting 78 on the final day, just needed even par to, to get the green jacket, a litany of others where folks had a major championship and just 
messed up somehow and weren't able to get it done. The number one is the most clear-cut meltdown, maybe in the history of sports. It's Jean Van de Velde. Yes. The 1999 British Open at Carnoustie. My guy needed a six on the 72nd hole to win outright. Couldn't get it done. Didn't need driver. He blasts a driver way right. He's in the hay. Decides to go for the green when he could have pitched out. In between him and the green was a berm full of water and a humongous bunker. Decides to go at it. Hits it in the berm. There's the famous shot of him taking off his socks, walking into the berm, thinking about hitting it. I remember Curtis Strange saying, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> there was about a 10-minute delay. He eventually decides to take a drop. So he drops. He's hitting his fourth shot. He goes over the berm into the bunker. He then has to hit his bunker shot onto the green. That's his sixth shot. And then he has a triple bogey putt from eight feet. And my God, he rolled it in and oh, pumped his fist. Yes, he rolls he in the triple bogey putt. Now... Netflix made a series called Losers, and this was the best episode of the series, was on John Vandeville. It's a half an hour long. He eventually lost in the playoff to Paul Laurie. But I would posture this, Nick. I'm not going to say it's better for John Vandeveld that he lost, but I would say a couple of things. I think he's uniquely equipped. I agree with handle... that. It's not better that he lost. <laughs> he's, Glad we he's, agree. <laughs> he's uniquely equipped to handle this. And I also think that he is more famous because he lost if he had just won the british open and disappeared that would have been basically the end of jean vandeveld but he's absolutely more famous I yeah mean, no doubt about that i mean I, i'm gonna be the first to admit mark brooks is a major championship i learned something during this podcast yeah i'm sure it was i'm sure it was anticlimactic um, it actually wasn't, if I could real quick. So yeah, please. so it was, it was the 1996 PGA Championship, and this, this could qualify as a meltdown too. <laughs> Kenny Perry, who never won a major championship, great player for like 15 years, 90s and early 2000s. You know when someone is posted in the clubhouse and they're usually like watching on TV or eating a sandwich or going to the driving range and getting warmed up? Kenny Perry went to the broadcast booth and oh, sat no. up in the tower and watched Mark Brooks tie him, and then immediately he lost in a playoff and they were even saying to Kenny, do you want to like go to the range, you know, maybe hit a few putts. And he's like, no, I'm just going to relax. And he lost in the playoff. That's how Mark Brooks won his only major championship. But to get back to the John Vandeveld point, if I was to go to a golf course this weekend and I would say, Hey, what's the biggest meltdown in golf history? Probably hear Greg Norman, maybe Rory. You get a lot of John Vandevelds. How many people do you think know who won that tournament? Yeah. Almost nobody. Almost nobody. Again, I'm not saying it's good, but there's fame. And I feel like a Frenchman enjoys the fact that he's famous. Like, I think if this happened to a real red ass, like Patrick Reed or someone like Billy Horschel, someone like that, it would destroy their life. But Vanderbilt, I saw him. Guy looks great. He's in his mid-50s. He's probably got a beautiful wife, lives in a winery. He doesn't give. He's happy to talk about this. I don't really <laughs> think he gives a shit. I think he's fine. Now, not that this is, is that important, but wasn't the person he was playing with in that final group, like, didn't that person hold out from almost the exact same spot in the bunker he was in? So it was like, it was like well, now I can't hold out because, like, this person just stole my thunder. I forget who it even was. Craig, it, it, it was Craig Perry, um, and he was in the bunker. And, you know, he wasn't going to win or even, like, but he, in, the, in the top ten playing the last group. Craig Perry's in the bunker almost in the exact same spot, 
holes out right before Jean Vandeveld, who, if he made his bunker shot, would have won the British Open outright. And it's actually, I'm glad you brought that up. Mm -hmm. When you rewatch the highlights, the spot where Craig Perry lands his ball and Jean Vandeveld lands his ball are nearly identical. And for some reason, Jean's goes perpendicular <laughs> to the left and Craig, almost like there's a funnel to the hole, <laughs> goes right in. But I have to tell you, when you melt down and come back, I find that remarkable. Like for Retief Goosen to win the playoff the next day to win that open is amazing. For Vandeveld to bury that eight foot triple bogey putt, remarkable. Yeah, would have been would have been the ideal scenario would have been melts down, makes triple, goes to the playoff and wins, right? Then you then you get the meltdown and you get the satisfaction that right. like okay, the right guy still won. Like IK Kim to go to tie it all back to the yeah. beginning. She missed that one foot putt. She still went to a playoff, lost it on the very first playoff hole. But like, you know, okay, you missed the putt. Okay, you still won. Like, okay, we got to experience like some epic drama, but like we still feel good in our hearts that like that our entertainment wasn't the expense of your of your major and like all of the confidence you've ever had in your putting stroke. Yeah, exactly right. I think I think that's a good list. I there's a lot you can pick from out there. You could go to Roberto Di Vincenzo, who signed an incorrect scorecard at the 1968 Masters, would have gotten into a playoff. Um, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, they're they're out there, man. I do want to say this, and I don't know if you have anything else before you want to move on. I know this is the contrarian opinion. I don't think Spieth's 2016 Masters is that big of a meltdown. I really don't. I really, really don't. I think he hit one bad shot. Bogey's 10, bogey's 11. A lot of people do that. Hits it in the water in 12. Okay. It's the it, it, it's the flub that he hit. That was the mm -hmm. meltdown. It was, it was one single shot. He's won a major since then. He has three major championships. I don't really think that was like a meltdown. I think it was one bad shot around a hard golf course. Now, you probably remember this. What was his lead before at the turn? Like if he bogeyed 10, 11 and made a – what did he make on 12? Like a five I think he had a four or five speaks. shot lead. Yeah. I, I don't know. That sounds like a meltdown to me. Well, <laughs> if you go back to that list of criteria, uh, the stakes were high. Uh, um, another Masters, uh, a pretty big lead, like a, a, a pretty high probability of him getting it done. Like it took quite a bit. Sure. To, really, you say one bad shot, but he bogeyed 10, bogeyed 11, hit it in the water on 12, hit it in the water on 12 again. Kind of sounds like four, at least four bad shots to me. Well, I think you were a little bit biased because, of course, the winner of that Masters is your most hated golfer for mm -hmm. reasons that remain un unexplained. Daniel I don't even Willett. know myself. Danny. <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you. You just, whenever you want to slam, like, who's the worst major champion ever, he's always at the top of Definitely your list, the tip of the tongue. Do you have anything else on meltdowns? No, I do not. Let us know. Who is the biggest meltdown of all time? Do you have a good meltdown story? Hit us up on Instagram. We would love to hear it. All right, Nicholas. It is time for our Mad Golf for the Week. It's brought to you by Piper Golf. Use the promo code TURN10 at checkout for 10% off everything at Piper.Golf. Golf balls for plus ones. I'm playing with a plus one this weekend in a best ball. Or 25s for much, much less than a Titleist or Callaway. This You're season playing is with here. a 25 next month in the Corner Club <laughs> Open. Suck up. <laughs> Use your promo code TURN10 at checkout at Piper. Dot golf. There's trying to win the gross and then there's trying to win the net. They're two different things. Oh my gosh. Um, this one this week is actually from at the turn super fan Jesse Altig, who hit us up on Instagram. This is from Emerald Valley Golf Course. This is from Z 
quote, just want to start by saying this review has nothing to do with the course itself. The conditions are always great, so kudos to the greens crews out there. If I could leave a zero tar star rating, I would. It's because of one person, Lane. Mm. My friend recently joined out there, and I've been playing with him once a week for the past month. But each time I've played out there, I met with his passive-aggressive and overall terrible attitude. Because of his attitude, I can say with 100% certainty that I will never play Emerald Valley again. Not only that, it's got four thumbs up. So four people read this and they're like, yeah, that Lane, what an asshole. Uh, who's Lane? Is Lane like the head pro? Is he the ranger? Is he the starter? Is is he the um, beverage cart attendant? I, I'm very curious why you're meeting with Lane and why Lane is <laughs> ruining your whole experience. I think it's one of those, if you know, you know, because four people just give it the thumbs up like, oh, yeah, we know Lane. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Z is your mad golfer of the week. If you're going out to Emerald Valley anytime soon, watch out for Lane. All right. It is time for Nick Rules, brought to you by Matchstick Golf. Use promo code TURN20 at checkout. Dana's releasing a lot of stuff on there. Did you see the latest one? I've seen some latest ones. I'm not sure if I've seen the, the latest one. Yeah, the one, I, I can't even, it's like the hang loose with the golf glove. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that one is fantastic. So good. Um, no theme song. Go ahead, Nick. Oh, okay, still still no theme song. We're getting there. I just want to talk about loose impediments today. It's, it's nickrules.org. Hmm. There, there is no association to anything else we've been talking about or really no relation to any of the weather, any any good reason why I pulled this out. But you just, you just need to know. Um, you are allowed to move loose impediments even in bunkers and penalty areas. It's great news. Um, however, if your ball at rest moves while you're loose, while you're moving a loose impediment, you get a one stroke penalty and you have to put your ball back. Now you might ask, well, Nick, what exactly is a loose impediment? That's what I was thinking. Oh, well, let me tell you leaves, grass clippings that are detached, not so not growing and not connected to your ball, animal waste, aeration plugs, twigs, sticks. Snow, if you encounter snow on the golf course, you have the option to consider a loose impediment or standing water. However, like a bunker rake, not a loose impediment. That is Ooh. a movable obstruction. Uh, so that's a little bit different. So, so basically, if they're part of nature, they're just out there, that's a loose impediment. If it's part of the golf course, like a bunker rake, like the ropes that tell you where the carts need to go or signs or things like that, movable obstruction. But if it is still growing, if it is attached to a tree, a bush, or the ground, I can't pull it up and move it. Yeah. It has to be deceased Yes, it needs to be loose. If it is attached to the ground, that it would that would not be <laughs> That's loose. that's an, an attached impediment. It's an attached. It's just an impediment. <laughs> so what do I do if my ball's up against a rake now? I'm I'm very curious. Do you have that Nick rule close by? Um, that's a movable obstruction. So, okay. Uh, just follow the movable obstruction rules and you'll be fine. If, if you're wondering about those, you can refer to the Central Texas Golf Association. <laughs> they have an extensive rule book for you. Yes. And that is Nick rules. Again, go to Matchstick Golf. Dot com use promo code turn 20 okay nick i didn't forget last time we played golf i don't think you know how much of an impact this had on me mm-hmm. we're driving to the golf course we went to daycare 
We forgot the bags. We had to go back to daycare. <laughs> I don't even know how much of an impact that had on me. <laughs> but as we were driving from daycare the second time to the golf course, you said to me, what's the thought today? And I was like, wow, what a great question, because I usually don't <laughs> have a thought going into a round. So I have a best ball tournament coming up this weekend. As I said, I'm playing with a plus. He's 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 quite good. I feel like I'm on the precipice. So I need you to pump me up a little bit. We played a couple weekends ago. You saw the good stuff. You saw the warts. What do I need to do to be a good best ball partner? Make a handful of birdies, plenty of pars, maybe a couple doubles. I got to make some low scores. Help me out here. Help me out. Yeah, a couple things. So you're playing best ball. So you don't need to be afraid of the big number. Um, don't number one. Don't be afraid to three putt. Um, and you didn't. You didn't three putt that. I think you had won that second round. But I like, I think that being afraid to three putt makes you putt more. Have more putts overall. You'll make more birdie mm. putts if you're if you're not afraid of the comebacker. Um, so so that's. And I like to think like when I ask you what's your thought, like what are you thinking today? For me, it's always something that. I can control 100%. It's not associated with my score. I can leave the course, shoot a billion, and say, like, I I stuck with the commitment that I made before my round. Uh-huh. Like, whatever it was. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. you can control at least one outcome. Um, so, if, if you're not afraid of, of three-putting, like, that's that's something you can control. Um, you made a really, really perceptive comment to me that your friend had pointed out to you that, that you can hit every fairway. You just choose not to. Um, so, maybe choose to hit more fairways. When it's when it's appropriate, well, this is this sometimes, is the guy. Sometimes you just want to blast it, sure. and that's fine. But but sometimes you should just choose to hit the fairway. So this is the guy that I'm playing with, and I I have this fairway finder. It goes about you know two forty two fifty, and so I basically just aim ball. forty yards left and just slap a banana ball out there. And and it's 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 a pretty reliable swing. And I hit it out there. He just looked at me. And he's like, well, "Why don't you do that every hole? Like I know why you don't, but like why don't you?" So. I think it's going to be conservative, off the tee, aggressive on the greens. I think that's the tactic I'm going to take. Okay. Aggressive. Now, are you saying aggressive on the greens or aggressive into the greens? On the greens. Okay. Yeah. That, that, that's great. I think – because I think I read I read something recently that was like amateurs have it backwards like because they're conservative off the tee and aggressive into greens yeah and i think being aggressive into greens is like the number one cause of of high scores according to whoever tweeted this but like yeah get on the green and and just roll that baby 10 feet past and and see if it goes in basically that's your game plan i love it i love it uh aggressive swing at a conservative target into greens and just go with the hole on the greens yes love it Okay, we'll see what happens. As I mentioned before, this is the course where I played a one-club tournament, so I'm very scared of not getting below that number, so we'll see if that happens. But the weather supposed to hold out. We'll see. Nick, God bless you. Good luck in Nashville. I hope you don't run for one second that you're down there. Thank you. I think I can commit to that. That's the thought. That's, no running. That's, that's your thought for, for Nashville is no running whatsoever. <laughs> Love it. I'm Lacey Evans. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time at The Turn.